Welcome to another edition of the NS North podcast. I'm Dan Byers and joining me is my co-host Phil Casgrain. How's it going, Phil? It's going great, Dan. How about you? Not too bad here. And we also have from sunny California, speaker Ken Cosienda. Welcome to the podcast, Ken. Hi, hi. Right on. So for our listeners, wondering if, if you can maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves. So, uh, well, I worked for a long time at Apple. And uh, I started working at Apple in 2001, and I had the good fortune of being at the company through a really wonderful period. Uh, I joined just a little bit uh, after Mac OS X came out, the first version, and four months before the iPod came out. So again, a really, really interesting time to join Apple. And my job when I joined Apple was to uh, make a web browser for Apple. So I joined with one of their fellow, Don Melton, who some of your listeners may know, and we were joined shortly thereafter by Richard Williamson. And the three of us uh, set the uh, Safari and WebKit project underway. We, we made the technology selection and we worked on that for a couple of years, made the announcement, and then I continued working on Safari for a few, few years after that until long about 2005, I got the opportunity to work on the iPhone. So from a very, very early point, uh, there were only about six or eight people working on high-level software. So I got uh, the chance to work on UIKit when it was just a few files, um, uh, UI view, and not much else. Uh, and uh, it, it became my job to make the software keyboard for the iPhone. So I'm responsible for autocorrection. And I guess I'm also the poster child, the, 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 the guy who's gotten in the way of all your swear words over the years. <laughs> um, so, so now, now you can put a voice to all of those, those ducking autocorrections. Um, and from that point on, I continued working on iOS for many, many years. I worked on the first version of the iPad and the first version of the Apple watch uh, and I continued uh, working at Apple until 2017. So it's been a little bit less than two years now since I've been out on my own. And during that time, I wrote a book about my experiences. It's called Creative Selection Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. And so for the last six months or so, so the book has been out and I've been talking to people uh, like uh, like you about the book and about my background and about what it was like to work at Apple during that time. So when you started at Apple on the web browser, where, what was your background to do that? Because we, we know Don Melton because he, he was our keynote speaker in 2014 on the second edition of NS North and he came from Mozilla. So what was your background in the in the web browsing? Well, I didn't have any. Uh, my background was my background was I knew Don. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good bet. <laughs> so, so Don and I uh, actually uh, met each other at the company we were working at immediately before both of us started at Apple. It was a company called Easel. Yes. Uh, and and Easel was a, a a company started by some people who had. Uh, long-standing history uh, at at Apple and with the original Macintosh in particular. Andy Hertzfeld, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Easel was founded by Andy Hertzfeld and Bud Tribble was uh, virtually employee number one. And wow. so... Uh, I, so I had the, the, the really wonderful opportunity to meet them and work with them. But it, unfortunately, uh, Easel didn't succeed. 
but then because of their longstanding connections, I mean, I, I've never actually talked to Bud to find out if this really was the story. But I think he just called Steve Jobs on the phone and said, Steve, we've got this company here. It's shutting down. There's a bunch of good engineers here. And uh, a number of us moved from Easel uh, to Apple. And uh, many of us stayed for many, many years. I mean, I stayed for almost 16 years and Don stayed for more than 10 for sure. Uh, but yeah, so that was my experience. Uh, Don and I had been uh, sort of uh, uh, there and back, let's say, uh, in, in a pretty dramatic way at Easel. And, uh, and, and we, we liked each other. We worked well together. So when he got the opportunity, uh, given his background, to... Uh, uh, start up this web browser project at Apple. He he just brought me along. Very nice. And you said you, you must have said no many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting. So so how he was he played coy for quite a while. Uh, I had had an interview with Scott Forstall again. I think many of your listeners know who Scott is, longtime oh, yeah. uh, executive at Apple. Absolutely. And uh, so I I interviewed with Scott uh, for some job. I didn't know what it was, uh, but uh, it turns out it was interviewing to be on the web browser team. And uh, uh, and Don uh, sort of had this, this arrangement cooking with Scott, and but he didn't tell me about it. He didn't tell me what it was. He was keeping it a secret. I, I don't know what he was waiting for, maybe waiting for some feedback from Scott. But then uh, Don and I took a, a, a drive in his car over to the old computer literacy bookshop uh, in Sunnyvale. Uh, and again, he was stonewalling me, wasn't telling me what was going on, but he went in, got a couple of books. I uh, maybe bought a book or something myself, I don't recall, but I remember that he bought a book because he handed it to me when he got back in the car. And it was the uh, 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 the O'Reilly JavaScript book with the rhino on the cover. <laughs> There's a sign. I don't know if again if you so if you're familiar with that, but um, really kind of sort of one of those terrific O'Reilly technical books with uh, you know the wonderful engravings of uh, yeah. of an animal on the cover. So the JavaScript Rhino book and Don handed that to me and said, "So do you want to make a web browser for Apple?" <laughs> there you go. And that's that was that was my uh, that was that was my first moment. Uh, 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 working on a really ridiculously difficult project like that, but that's that's just how it went. I mean, Apple was um, sort of a uh, you know small, scrappy company at that point, certainly compared to how it is now. And so uh, you just get a couple of couple of people together and assign them a project, and well, off you go. Well, I remember the days where we had uh, Microsoft Internet Explorer being the primary browser that was shipped with Mac OS X even. So the, the, that having Safari was a was a revelation. Uh, I want to follow up on you moved to uh, to the iPhone after that and the iOS, uh, what became iOS, it was called iPhone OS, I think at, at the time. But um, uh, Safari on, on iPhone is quite the accomplishment because it made the keynote as, look, this is the real web, we can scroll, as uh, Steve was saying. And uh, I was wondering if you had any involvement in that. You mentioned UIKit, which uh, is near and dear to the heart of many of our listeners. Uh, but Safari is, uh, is the technology that powers a, a large amount of the web today. So uh, were you involved in Safari on iPhone at all? Sure, yeah. Well, uh, uh, that's really uh, what my job was when I joined the iPhone team. Uh, I was working on the web browser and uh, we had, it was really a big, big secret. The, the Safari and WebKit team did not know we were making a phone. Oh, wow. So for many months, 
we had a, 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 a sort of a side repository. Um, and so my first job working on the iPhone was to maintain our out-of-tree patches. Um, uh, we would pull uh, from the open source repository every day, and then it was my job to merge back in our changes. And the changes were primarily to, uh, to optimize, to, to make things smaller, um, to make things uh, speedier if we could, uh, because the, the, of course, the, the original uh, iPhone was a pretty uh, constrained computing environment compared to what desktops were. For sure. And, and the, way, the, way that we, the way that you can think about it, I mean, again, this is maybe going back into a little bit of history, but this actually uh, turned out to be an important part of how we developed the iPhone, was in the beginning, we didn't have the real hardware. We had uh, these uh, these little pieces of, of of prototype hardware, development hardware, and so w the uh, the the main way that we developed touchscreen software was with this uh, prototype uh, handheld unit called a Wallaby, and the Wallaby was a dis a touchscreen display and little else. And so we had this uh, whole computing environment set up on our Macintoshes where we plugged in this, this Wallaby display unit and it would show up on the Mac uh, through some cabling and a USB hub and a, and a bare board, which we had on our desk that was all tied up together with some special, uh, with a special tether awesome. uh, to this Wallaby. And this Wallaby would show up uh, on our Macs as an external display. So we would we would go and we would make our Mac software show up in that coordinate space, on, you know, on the kind of the large, you know, sort of you know union of all displays, and yeah, and then we could interact with uh, the software uh, using the Wallaby using touch. But there was no CPU on the Wallaby that would to, to speak of. There was no CPU on the Wallaby, and so uh, this again, you know, kind of coming back around, kind of a long way, is that the. Uh, the Macs that we used, there was there was this hunt that it must have seemed very mysterious to people who weren't disclosed on the project. But we went out looking for blue and white G3 Mac Tower uh, computers huh. because that CPU in that blue and white uh, G3 computer was going to be very similar in speed to what we were going to wind up with oh, in right. the iPhone hardware itself. Yes. And so we weren't <laughs> kidding ourselves by how much uh, compute power we were going to have. And so that was a little way that we could simulate what is the web browsing experience going to be like. And then as we set about trying to optimize and slim down Safari and WebKit, um, that was our, our test bed. Uh, and it was, it was really helpful to have that, as you might imagine. So you had these, these constraints like that fairly early on then that you were aware of, or they kind of were developed as you went and you had to refactor things? Well, we, we knew that the, that the phone was going to be less of a computer, uh, less of a computing environment in every way, in basically every way. It's lighter, it's smaller, right? There's less CPU, there's less memory. Yeah. Uh, even probably the bandwidth to memory was less. I don't remember the exact figures now, but I mean, everything was less 
than what we had on the desktop at the time. You know, and again, you, you think about, you know, the iPod was a music player, but what our goal for the iPhone was to make a general purpose computing device. I mean, that really was, it was a handheld computer to us right from the start. Right, the G3 tower uh, was probably really powerful at the time in the mid 90s, late 90s when we had it, but it was still a uh, 267 or 350 megahertz computer, megahertz, not gigahertz, right? So, uh, and <laughs> then at the time we had the, I remember I was working on G4 towers myself, and those were uh, 867 uh, megahertz and up to a gigahertz in some cases. So, so the, learning that the original iPhone hardware was kind of specced to be same as a G3 tower, I'm going to venture around 300 megahertz is kind of uh, fascinating. Yeah, that's, I mean, we, we never did the speeds and feeds things for the iPhone. Um, it was just that the people who were looking at the hardware and looking at, you know, what the, what the roadmap was and where the hardware was scheduled to land, the, the blue and white G3 was the best that we could do to simulate that environment for us. And, and, and again, not, not, not develop a, a, a collection of software that once we then got the real hardware, there was going to, you know, be some, you know, moment where we, we, we loaded up things onto this, this wonderful new handheld computer and gulp where, where, you know, only uh, half as fast as we need to be. So we, we knew we needed to get out in front of uh, performance from, from very, very early on. Now, one of the interesting aspects uh, of the iPhone is that it didn't have any swap. Ah. And so, so we, we, Uh, there were a couple of people who came up with this brilliant idea of Jetsum, mm -hmm. which is this technology uh, in the, in, down deep in the memory manager that if you did a malloc call and there wasn't any memory, it would go kill a process to reclaim memory. So um, because, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you know, pretty much who seriously checks the return value of malloc for if it's null and does something people that work on embedded systems <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly people who work in an in in an environment where uh malloc might fail but we had gotten used to on the desktop in in, in a in a virtual memory system it's just like well your process has pretty much limitless memory i mean at least for the programs that I was writing. I mean, I maybe there were there are some people out there that are doing some, you know, weather simulations or thing, and they're 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 press or, or even Photoshop. I, I worked on Painter, sure. which has kind of the same problems, and the VM system, general purpose VM system on the Mac or on Windows for that matter, were not sufficient for the performance that we needed. We had to write our own because we knew what we were doing for the the needs that we have on huge images with multiple layers, right? Sure, sure. And so we had this constraint on us for the iPhone. We had uh, a, a limited amount of memory and no VM system. And so uh, Malik could fail, but we wanted to make it so that Malik really couldn't fail, is that it would just go and, and start, start killing processes until your Malik succeeded. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, I, you know, again, this is all because it's, 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 a set of trade-offs that now we take for granted, but it was a design decision early on to say the iPhone is only going to run one app at a time from the perspective of the user. 
Right. It's the full screen experience. That's right. And and this this was this, uh, you know, we, we didn't think about it. I mean, there was there was a word for, from one of my colleagues. He was the head of the human interface team for many, many years and certainly was at this time. His name was Greg Christie. And Greg Christie had this this word that he used that he always said with with a half sneer in, in uh, when he was talking about software that wasn't sufficiently designed with the needs of the of, of the person using it in mind he said it he he would say that such software was computery right perfect right <laughs> and computery was bad right <laughs> yeah. and so with the way that we like to think about the iphone is that when you 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 go to springboard you go to the home screen and you tap an icon well then the phone becomes that app so if you tap on the Safari icon, the phone becomes a web browser. You press yeah. the home button, you press the phone uh, icon, the, the, the whole device becomes a phone and so on and so on for all the apps. It becomes a note taker or a calendar, right? A, a, a music player, what have you. And so just that one app uh, uh, taking uh, uh, over the screen, um, it it enabled us to do some pretty clever things in the background so that all of these apps could run on what, again, was a very constrained computing system. You would just have one app running at a time. Well, of course, Springboard was also always running in the background, um, but pretty much nothing else on those early phones to the limit of memory. Right. Um, uh, uh, apps would stay resident. They would be, uh, they would be suspended but they would stay resident if you had the memory. But uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the you know Springboard was was really quite willing to go and kill those processes if needed to make the the, the front most app experience uh, as as good as possible. You speak of some of the word computery, and that re rings a question to me. It's uh, the iPhone is really well known for its um, uh, accessibility. And it's very surprising to think of something that's a smooth pane of glass to be accessible, but it is. And I've witnessed it and I've, I've seen people using it as, at super high speeds, faster than normal people use them even. I was wondering if you could tell us uh, how early in the design did it happen uh, or did it dawn on people that accessibility would be a, a big thing and we'd have to work on it? Well, accessibility uh, is... and. All, you know, uh, certainly was back at that time. Uh, again, the, the, the period I'm talking about, 2005 to 2007, while the iPhone, the original iPhone was in development. Yes. Accessibility was absolutely uh, on the radar. And that the accessibility team at Apple is, does absolutely terrific work. Uh, so the accessibility of Apple's product, I mean, is really led from this cross-functional team that uh, is, uh, you know, cuts horizontally across the entire organization because really it takes a tremendous amount of expertise. Yeah. Uh, and it takes the connection to the community of the people who who need and require the accessibility features to make sure that those features are working yeah. for the, the the community, the people who need it. And so all all of that. I mean, I'm I'm sure that the the, the people on the accessibility team itself could could tell you of the struggles uh, of working on secret software like the iPhone in that they they. 
they almost certainly were not able to talk to engage with the the, the external community. Of course, exactly. Uh, until the until the product was launched. Um, but I would uh, I would imagine that then in that uh, six month period after the announcement and before the first customer shipments uh, happened, that then yeah, there was quite a, quite a bit of outreach. Um, and uh, you know I've had opportunity to work with uh, people uh, on the accessibility team uh, in in a couple of different uh, uh, projects over the years, and they're just absolutely terrific. And they uh, you know the, our, the goal of Apple and certainly my goal was to make products that were for everyone. Meaning, you know, as inclusive as and everyone as possible, and and again, their their work makes that really possible, uh, and and increases the, the the number of people that that can use iPhones and iPads and 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 Macs, um, and it's just I always thought it was it was it was great to get an opportunity to work with them and help to make that make that goal a reality. Wow. Very good. Yeah, I, I, there's countless stories I've heard about the accessibility team and how tremendous they are. And it really does show in the product, too. It's such an inclusive platform um, in terms of the usability perspective. Um, it's incredible. From from, you know, you were there since the beginning. Like I've always kind of wondered, like, when when did it kind of set in the the magnitude or the uh, like how important what you're building could be like you know you know like obviously you're right at the beginning you're playing around with some prototype hardware like did you realize then what what you were holding in your hands <laughs> well you know they're really no I, I mean uh, the uh, when I was invited to join the project I thought it was the the you know, it was it was the greatest opportunity that I ever got in my career, no doubt. Uh, and and I knew that from the moment that uh, that I was asked to join. Um, and and part of the reason is that uh, the 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 opportunity to to make software that that enables new hardware is to me very exciting. That's what I like to do the most. Yeah. Uh, and that. Uh, because I, I think the, the the best products are these combinations of uh, software, hardware, networking, services, accessibility, and yes, marketing and legal and and the supply chain and the operations to to, to get all these products uh, available in as many countries as possible. So you know, it's 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 that it's that whole machinery of the big company to make these products happen and software being of course an, an important part of it and i like to think in, in some ways you know one of the the real differentiators uh there are a lot of companies out there that can do good marketing maybe not as good as apple they can do good hardware again maybe not as uh to the level that apple can but i i think there are really very few companies that have that that outlook about software and the ability to deliver software uh as as you know has developed this this sort of deep decades long culture of doing it in the way that Apple has and so uh, you, you know for me you know getting told that there's this new piece of hardware that we want software for it um was uh uh, that that was I, I always went looking for that, and which is why I wound up working on the original iPad when that was getting made, and then the original Apple Watch when that was getting made for the same reason. So after leaving uh, leaving Apple and and striking it on your, on your own, what's what's on your radar now? What what are you what are you doing these days that you can talk about? 
Well, I wrote this book. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it tells stories about Safari and WebKit. Um, so it, it is, uh, and, and, you know, I think, you know, there were so few people uh, who were working on these projects. I mean, there were, uh, I, I think it was 10 people did check-ins for Safari before the beta. So it's a very small project. Indeed. Uh, and, uh, and when it comes to uh, the iPhone software, I, I have a different measure for that, which is uh, uh, after the iPhone was announced, Apple uh, uh, filed for a patent, regardless of whatever you think of patents, whether you think they're good or bad or whatever. Uh, it, it, it gives an opportunity to uh, get a, a count on how many people were involved on making novel contributions to what became iOS, to the touchscreen operating system. And there are 25 people listed on the patent. So again, there's very few people who were working uh, on uh, making that, you know, the original iPhone software happen, make iOS, take it from, from nothing and, and make it something. You know, the interesting thing, too, is that one of those people is Steve Jobs. So it's Steve Jobs and 24 other people. <laughs> <laughs> did, he, and, did he have, like, commit um, access? Uh, well, you know, but that, that, that you, know, the, the, you know, the way they do the patent is they, there's a lead inventor and then it's, so that, that patent is Steve Jobs et al., right? right. Steve Jobs and others. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. um, but, you know, and, and because, you know, and it's an interesting thing to, to, you know, to consider, you know, who gets listed on patents? Well, you get listed on patents if you have the idea, not if you wrote the code. But if, if you had the idea for something that was novel. Yes, a, a patent is, an, is a representation of an idea, basically, right? Yeah, it's, it's the, the, the statement that, uh, that we thought of something. Uh, and sometimes we didn't wind up putting the, uh, the idea into a product. I mean, most of the ideas for the iPhone wound up in the product. Uh, and, you know, these ideas um, about... Uh, you know, the, you know this 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 interesting area in 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 software development uh, that that is the the contrast between algorithms and heuristics, and the uh, the the name of that patent here, I, I can I can just go and get it really really quickly. Um, was all that you know that patent was all about heuristics the the name of the patent is touchscreen device method and graphical user interface for determining commands by applying heuristics huh. so that that's that that's the name of the iPhone patent and of course now that has given rise to an industry of people that are just watch every single Apple patent filing <laughs> right, right. right. Well, okay. So, but this this interesting idea, heuristics. You know, well, how is a heuristic different than an algorithm? And you know, to me, uh, it it's that you know, an algorithm uh, is many times you write an algorithm because you want to perform a certain job. You want to take a certain input and 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 produce a certain output with it. And you know, algorithms in in in, in, in the way I think about it, always have an arrow of improvement. Huh. In other words, if you have a web browser, well, how do you make it better on the, on the axis of speed? Well, you make it faster. And you don't allow it to regress. Right. And you don't allow it to regress. Now, the, uh, yeah, on, along the axis of, say, memory usage. Well, less is better, right? I mean, it's, there's no dispute there. 
right? A faster web browser that uses less memory is better, right? Now, when it comes to heuristics, uh, this, is the, this gets to the question of, well, how fast should we make the animation of an icon going from uh, the home screen to take up the entire display? How fast should that animation be? Well, faster isn't necessarily better. I mean, if, if, you're, if you tap on the back button and there's that little animation that shows you, that takes you from the screen that you're on and does that little side-to-side -side animation, uh, and, and, and the animation tells the story that you're going back, well, how fast should that be? Faster or slower is a question. I mean, that, that, that issue is up for grabs. Well, you would want more, more frames per second. So you, you would want 60 frames per second so that it's good for the human eye. And sure. you only have 12 milliseconds to do your, your work, right? <laughs> you're, you're drawing. But I'm, I'm talking about the length of the animation, the whole length of it. Is, it, is, it. is 300 milliseconds good or would 280 be better? Maybe 320 is better because that gives you, it, it allows the animation to tell the story about where you're going. Uh, better and 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 the the these algorithms at that level of granularity of looking at just a few tens of milliseconds sometimes was part of the the development process that we went through and again that is a heuristic you know it's how fast when you press the button the this animation triggers well, what's what is the software code that does that? Well, and and how long is it? Again, that's what I term a heuristic. In other words, the the arrow of improvement doesn't necessarily point in a particular way. And all of these sort of look and feel type determinations was such a big part of of the work that went into making iOS what it is. Yeah, like I wonder if that can be considered like one of the main differentiating factors between iOS and the other platforms, you know? Um, well, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the thought and it's yeah. the care, the care and the craft and the, the idea that the, when we put in animations, we didn't put them in just to have movement, to have it be frivolous, mm -hmm. but the animations told a story. When you, when you press the back button, the, 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 the screen moves in a certain way. And that, you know, let's say you're, you know, you're in the contacts app, you press on the name of a contact, it slides over and that, uh, then when you press the back button, it slides back to return you where you started from in the contacts list. Both of those animations tell you a story. You're going deeper into the app, and then you're coming back to the top level. Uh, and, and that these, these animations uh, work on us, work on our sense of, you know, our, 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 our cognitive yep. uh, sense of where we are yep. and uh, that we've navigated somewhere. Where did we go? And then when you go back, you know that you've gone back because the motion tells you that you did. My favorite animation in this kind of thing is the uh, subtle one is when you press the home button from an app and you go back to Springboard and the app kind of fades away um, like the Zoom Rex used to do on the Finder, but it goes towards where the icon of the app was. So it tells you, oh, you're going back there and that's where you were. It's, it, it's subtle, but it also tells the story exactly like you were saying. Yeah, it absolutely tells the story. And it's these, these subtle things that register 
on us in, in, in a way that's almost beneath our level of consciousness. But it works <laughs> in that... <laughs> In that, you know, if you if you think about it, you, you when when you when you tap on an app and then you uh, so you go for, you're on the home screen, you tap on an app icon and then you go into that app and you might be in there for a long time and then you return to the home screen. Well, that app animating back to its icon position sort of closes the loop. You tap there to get into that app mm-hmm. and now that loop has been closed back down and now you can begin another loop going into another app uh to do uh, some other task that you're interested in but again these these i these 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 experiences were very very carefully thought through and crafted to to tell these little stories and and to keep you uh uh oriented uh as you're using the system and and uh, again hopefully in a, in a way and perhaps for a lot of people very definitely in a way that is beneath their level of of conscious awareness because what we cared about when we were designing these experiences that we wanted people to be thinking about their goals not about the eye candy that we put into the system yeah. but uh people maybe you're opening up the camera app because they want to take a photo and then maybe they want to go into the photos app and maybe do a little bit of uh cropping on it or maybe apply a filter on it and then attach it to uh, a text message and so uh you know that's what people should be thinking about they shouldn't be thinking about the the glitzy animations that the designers and engineers put into the product right those 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 animations need to be there to support the uh, the the person's goals. That does beg the question, though, and I'm sure half of our audience is about to ask this question. What do you think about the reduced motion switch that is now on iOS? Is there a thing as too much animation? Yeah, well, I I'll be perfectly honest. I have reduced motion on uh, and have had it on since I bought my iPhone 10. So there is it, it is possible to have too much animation. Yeah, I I I think that there is a, a a limit. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing is the um the you know, the limits are different people, you know, different places for everyone. Absolutely. And um you know, it's it that's why, you know, it's you know, we ask some I I think a lot of people who maybe don't understand Apple, don't get Apple's approach. Uh, and certainly during the time that I worked at Apple and certainly during the time that Steve Jobs was the, you know, the chief product officer of the company as long as being, as well as being the chief executive officer of the company, there was always this pressure to do less, to have fewer choices, to uh, make defaults, make the best choices for what the defaults on the product would be and to have that be conservative yeah because you know again it's it's a matter of 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 the the empathy the 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 looking out for the people in the world who are going to be buying and using the product and thinking about the the various thresholds that people have for uh what the product does and how it does it And we were just talking about one one axis here, which is the axis of animation and motion um, and springiness. 
uh, and that's just one of a huge number of uh, of areas where uh, my personal uh, aesthetic is to be conservative, that less is more. And that when animations tell a, a, a subtle story, that's when that that's the place for them. Um, so, you know, and, you know, if other people on the iPhone 10, you know, made, you know, made, uh, you know, other choices, well, so be it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, certainly, again, back for, you know, for me, my personal taste and back in the era that was uh, my time at Apple, uh, we, we were, we still had that Steve Jobs approach of less is more. Wow. Very good. Um, I have one more question for you um, before we maybe wrap this up is I think you're a car guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I suppose that I could be called a car guy. Yes. How many cars do you have? Well, I've, I've had, I, right now I only have two cars. Um, I have a 1987 Porsche 911 uh, and I have a uh, 2018 uh uh, Mercedes AMG GTC. Oh, excellent choices. Uh, the uh, yeah. the convertible. Uh, so, um, but over time, I've I've had two Ferraris. I've had uh, uh, this. I'm on my third Porsche. Uh, I had a McLaren 12C. Uh, oh wow! Jag- Jaguar uh, F-Type. I had a Lotus Elise. Um, so I, I've had a few cars. Not all simultaneously, obviously. Uh, I had up to four cars at one time, but uh, that was a, that was a little bit it was a little bit excessive. Um, but yeah, I, I I I like I like fast cars. I, I like uh, you you buy cars like that, and and to me they have a uh, they are made with this, uh, uh, the kind of care and attention that uh, that Apple puts into his products. That's so, that's fantastic. Um, and yeah. and so uh, that that's what I appreciate about uh, having these uh, having having nice cars. You mentioned the eighty seven uh, the eighty seven nine eleven. Do you do you work on that yourself, or do you have a trusted mechanic? Uh, I for for difficult things, I have a trusted mechanic. I I I um, I do some work on. I put a short shift kit in the car. Um, uh, but and I change the steering wheel out. Um, but when it gets to really more complicated things, I leave it to people who n- actually know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to be processing this conversation and all the stories here for the next while. This has been a amazing talk um, or chat. Thank you so much, Ken. Well, thanks. I had a great time. Yeah, this is fantastic. Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, thanks, thanks, Phil, and um, we'll uh, we'll talk to you, or we'll yeah, we'll we'll see you all in uh, in April. It's going to be a lot more of these discussions. I have a feeling. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Very good. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.